morning. <clears throat> Welcome, whether you're online or in person. Christmas is here. Like, it is three weeks from today. Can you believe that? Unbelievable how fast this year has gone and, and this season is moving. And uh, we're in this series that starts today unwrapped. And uh, man, what a special time. Uh, today especially, because in our services we have communion, which we've just experienced. We have a light that's on because we've had at least one receive Christ this week. We have in addition to that some baptisms at the end of service in both services. And uh, God is just moving here and it is so awesome to be a part of. As we get into this series and this idea of God's greatest gift revealed. I don't know what Christmas morning is like at your house, but... Maybe you've seen these Geico commercials recently. Uh, they should give me a, a plug for that, right? <laughs> I'm plugging them, so I should get a kickback. But these Geico's commercials, like, where they're trying to help us not become like our parents? Anybody? Uh, maybe you notice back here, we've got this beautiful Christmas with all these gifts. And then some of you would recognize the dad life, the dad role that unfolds at Christmas. Anybody else with me? Where, where your job is to try to pick up all the wrapping paper as quick as you can. Anybody? Anybody? Or is this just me? Am I just like, this is a live public therapy session, and, and everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, a couple years ago, we're, we're in the middle of Christmas morning, and I've got my trash bag ready. And, and we're sitting there, and the kids are, you know, ready. We have four children. They're getting ready to open their gifts. And I'm more interested in making sure I can keep the floor clean. Um, like, true story, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, uh, but as the wrapping paper is being spread all over the place, I'm beginning to, to feel like, okay, this is my time, this is my moment, right? And it was actually in the middle of, of picking up the wrapping paper and uh, things that had been unwrapped that my oldest was like, Dad, like, can you just chill? Like, seriously, it'll be there when we're done. And I had to sit down and realize that, that actually what was happening in that moment was my own OCD or whatever it might have been was causing me to miss the gifts and the moment that was unfolding in front of me. Last couple years, our living room floor with four children opening gifts, it's been a wreck. It's been crazy, and we pick it up after. In fact, in many ways, I tell my kids, okay, you told Dad to wait, so now you get to help, right? I, I say all this to say, we are unwrapping this season and unwrapping God's greatest gift, and there's going to be pieces and parts that, that we have to pull apart. We have to slow down. We have to uh, in many ways, get rid of the tendency to try to, to make it look pretty and to fix it uh, because Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture is so honest and so real with the things that, that we wrestle with in life. And that early church that experienced Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection that were now living that way and proclaiming it, they understood what a gift they had received. And that gift had shown up now in the hardest parts of life and in the greatest parts. And so this series, as we deal with this stuff, uh, is this going to like really, I'm going to just leave it unwrapped. I'm going to leave this up here and you're just going to have to deal with it if you're like me, right? Let's just take a breath 
and really look into this. There's a quote from a theologian and author, N.T. Wright, that I want to share before we get to his word to set this up. This whole series is this idea of really looking at God's greatest gift, what the gospel means to our life, who Jesus is. He says this, that there's, I'm sorry, it's Francis Schaeffer that says this. He says, we find in the early church not a group of strong men laboring together, but the work of the Holy Spirit bringing to them the power of the crucified and glorified Christ. It must be so for us also. God has always intended that Christians should be the evidence, the demonstration of Christ's victory on the cross. Jesus is this gift revealed. And as we receive that gift, as we walk in that gift in its fullness and all the facets and what it has for us, we are meant to be the evidence to the world around us. And today we're going to unwrap hope. Say hope with me. We're going to unwrap hope. And for some of us, we don't have any hope. We're, we're struggling, if we're honest, with life in our world and the things going on. And yet there's this gift in Jesus of hope that is bigger than any season, that, that prevails in the face of any problem. There is a hope that should rest on us and in our life. And when that does begin to happen, we're the evidence of who Jesus is and what he's able to do. And there is a world that desperately needs hope. Amen? Amen. And so as we get into this today, we're going to spend the majority of our time in Romans 15. You can turn there with me. And, and if you know anything about the word, you're like, Romans 15, that's not a Christmas passage. It's not. But Christmas is pointing us to a bigger gift and reality. And in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul is, he's actually writing, uh, in chapter 14, he had been telling this, this group of believers that, listen, some of you are weak, some of you are strong, some of you are doing great, some of you are struggling, there's all of these things you're wrestling with. And in 15, he begins to say, listen, as you do that, here's the hope. There's this hope that is so much greater and we're going to learn how do, we, how do we receive that gift, but also how do we live. So if you came to just like be encouraged, patted on the back, and all of those things today, that's going to happen. But you're also going to be challenged to be the evidence of the hope that we have, to live your faith. Y'all ready? Whew, you really took take a break, seriously. You checked out. Now, here we go, Romans 15. Verse 1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. If you're taking notes here, hope grows, because we're talking about hope. Hope grows when I... Am not the focus. Say that with me. Hope grows when I am not the focus. Oh, here we go. Right? Hope grows when we get our eyes off of ourselves, when we realize it's not about me, it's about Jesus, it's about His will, His plan, the things that He wants to do. In your notes, if you're at, on our website, there's an FYI that has the notes. This idea is eyes up, not on self, to see Jesus 
and what he sees. You see, what Paul is saying here in Romans 15 is, listen, there's people around you. There's people that you're there to make a difference in their life. You're, you're there because they're in a different place in life than you are. In fact, they might be in a place that, that you were at one time. And your, the evidence, your testimony, the goodness of God in your life can help those that are coming along behind you. And guess what? If you're humble, those that, that are actually growing in the faith, that are on fire because they're maybe new believers or they're, they're being baptized today and they're excited, will reinvigorate and excite your faith. He's saying, listen, there's something that happens when we realize it's not about us and we get our eyes up, out of the problems, out of the issues, on Jesus and on those that he's placed around us. Second piece to this would be then, I believe his heart is that we'd be desiring to make a difference, not amplify our differences. And this is significant because we live in a world right now, especially in America, on social media and in news cycles, that's literally making money off dividing us. Whatever the political issue is, whatever the ideology is, really it's about extremes now. There's very little in the middle. And as a result, what we have is this tendency to amplify differences rather than actually see how we're called to make a difference and that Jesus, as our hope, unites us across differences. He's reminding them that, listen, there's people around you that, are, that have different beliefs, that they're still growing in their faith because he's building his church and bringing together people from all nations and tribes. Jesus has a global church that we get to be a part of. And so part of what we have to embrace if we're going to have hope is not digging into all of the differences because they're there. It's how do we center on Jesus, the gospel, the hope that we have, and allow that to unify us, and then we focus on making a difference. One of the things that we're offering this month is an opportunity uh, within this series and within this month for a special Christmas offering. This offering is designed for us to say, hey, there's different seasons that we're in. There's seasons where sometimes we're in crisis, sometimes we're in plenty. If we're in abundance, we may be able to give above and beyond to make a difference, to give somebody else hope. And I want to tell you, when you're in that position, it gives you hope to know that you're making a difference. Can anybody else attest to that? That when we get our eyes up and off of ourselves, and we begin to make a difference, it gives us purpose. It gives us fulfillment. It gives us hope. And for those that maybe don't have hope to know that this is a church and a place that every day of the year that we're available every month, we have a benevolence fund that's here to make sure that we can love you and love our community well. And so that's what the offering is going towards this year. I want to encourage you, pray about it, think about it. What, what part could you play in that? Because again, hope grows when we, when I am not the focus. Some of my worst days are when I become all about me. Some of my worst days are when I begin to sit and think about all the things that I deserve, 
all the things that I don't deserve that I'm dealing with. Anybody? And it's interesting that in that space, often what God does is shows up in a way that says, hey, get your, get your eyes off of yourself. Look back to me, believe and have hope in me and what I'm able to do. That's part of the hope of Christmas. That's part of the gift. Is that in a fallen, broken world, Jesus stepped in. He's been raised. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And when we raise our eyes to him, we're reminded as we celebrated earlier through the sacrament of communion that he is king. He is Lord. He is our hope. Amen? Verse 4, let's go on. In verse 4, it says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is really, really rich and good news. There was a story I heard Dr. Tony Evans share recently that he writes about this minister that had been preparing a message, and when Saturday rolled around in Sunday morning, he's looking for his notes. He's looking everywhere for his notes, and he can't find him. He can't find him in his study. He can't find him in the office. He can't find him anywhere that he would normally have his notes. And so he finally gets up to, to speak, and as he prepares to speak, he just says a prayer, God, I... I don't know what's going to happen right now, but I trust you. I trust your word, and I'm going to trust your Holy Spirit to help me remember the things that were in my notes. Amen. He opens up his Bible, and there's his notes. <laughs> kind of a silly example, but here's the thing. When we look into the Bible, the notes for living, the hope for living is there. It is there. When Paul says this, he's wanting to encourage us that when we look back at the Old Testament, as we read through the New Testament, that his word, the Bible, this is authoritative, it's inspired, it's living, it's active. It goes forth to accomplish the purpose for which it is being sent. Yes, I just quoted three scriptures about the word of God. All of those things should encourage us to be a people that are getting into this and learning and allowing it to speak into our lives. See, hope grows when we spend time learning the Bible. That's part of the beauty of coming together on a weekend to connect, to get into his word together. It's part of the beauty of our life groups and classes, our men's ministry and women's men we meet tomorrow, by the way. It's in those spaces that we learn and get into the word together and we're encouraged and hope begins to come alive because we realize that this isn't the first generation to deal with life. That we aren't the first generation to deal with stuff. That the Bible is filled with stories and examples of God's faithfulness and goodness. What is consistent in life? As you read the Bible and as we look at our own life, what is consistent in life is generational challenges victories, and the faithfulness of God. Amen. When we begin to see those things, it begins to give us hope that, again, it's not just not about us, but we aren't alone. We're not, we're not as unique as we thought we were. That God's gone before us then and goes before us now. And he's faithful and able 
I want to try something here with our team. If you guys could get that ready. When I was thinking about this and what I see sometimes in Scripture, I was reminded, I mean, it's a simple example. Welcome to my whiteboard. (laughs) It's a simple example. But in life, when we receive Jesus, you know, those that are being baptized today probably had this, this idea and this concept that now as I follow Jesus, everything, we'll draw a little person here, Show you the extent of my art ability. Give them a little spiky hair, just just for fun. That when we begin our life with Jesus, many of us want life to just go like this, to the finish line. Like that would be great, wouldn't it? If that's, that's the way life was. Everything's blessed, everything's perfect, everything is great. Some of us, in fact, maybe have a perception that everything is up and to the right. Everything's just going to get better. Bank account's going to grow. Business is going to grow. Jesus is good, and everything is going to work out. Part of that statement was true. Everything is going to work out, and Jesus is good. But the idea that everything is always going to be easy, always going to be up and to the right, is not necessarily the truth of the story, is it? In fact, it's interesting because life has a way of where things will move, and then we go, and then all of a sudden it bottoms out. We have a loss, whether it's of a job, a a, a family member, a relationship, a friendship, somebody that we grew close to in a church that suddenly leaves. All of these things can make us feel like things bottomed out. And then things can begin to move again and maybe level for a while. Maybe we have a great season where everything according to our metrics and our hopes and our dreams and our goals are successful. And then maybe things get sideways and crazy for a little while. Anybody been through some wilderness? (laughs) Some of you are like, that's my life right now. Right? Here's the thing that we need to be reminded. When we're learning the Bible, the stories in the Bible often look like this. They often look like our stories. They often look like stories that are about the the faithfulness and the goodness of God that intervenes, that's present in every season. Part of the beauty of baptism is declaring that, that our old life is gone as we go under the water and our new life has been resurrected, is alive in Christ, that we're now following him and he's present. He's present with us. That should give us hope. That should give us great hope. No matter what we're going through, he's there, and he is able, and he'll walk with us. I I mean, I'm trying to think of what I could draw here to illustrate that, but it's probably just, you know, putting a cross right in the center, isn't it? That in the center of everything, there's this picture of Jesus that's meant to call us forward to follow him, to trust him to let him have his way, that gives us hope. And, and again, when I think about this, I think about my own life and the moments when I make it about me, when I become the focus, because it's in those spaces that really what's happening is that I'm struggling to trust the Lord. I'm struggling to trust King Jesus' leadership and his will. I get afraid 
Can I admit that? I get insecure. I get anxious. And then suddenly hope is gone. Not that it's not available. Not that the gift isn't there to to be revealed and present. But my flesh begins to get in the way. There's something more when we begin to to learn the Bible. (laughs) Sorry, we're figuring out how to use this. You can turn that off now. There we go. There's something that happens when we begin to learn the stories of the Bible and and discover what he has for us. As this passage goes on, let me read to you a little bit more here. Because he says, as you learn the Bible, verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, say together, Together you may be with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If you're taking notes here, hope grows when we press into Jesus's, and that blank is there on purpose. When we press into Jesus's faith, goodness, love, hope, Direction, will, guidance, kingship, heart, compassion. Can you get the idea? When we begin to press into Jesus and what he offers in every season, and not the problem. You see, if you're taking notes, problems can create a prana pit. Or they could create one people filled with praise. Let's just sit on this idea for a minute. Piranha pit is my phrasing, that's why it's in quotations. You ever been in a situation or season where where challenges in life are happening? Maybe it's now, maybe it's around your dinner table, maybe some things happened at Thanksgiving that you're still licking your wounds and recovering from. Anybody? Maybe it's something that's happened within a church. Maybe here. Or maybe somewhere else. I I mean, let's just acknowledge for a minute that, that it's really easy for us, even as Christians, as the evidence and the hope of who Jesus is, to allow problems to create a piranha pit. You know what piranhas do, right? They just devour. They just eat. They just tear apart. They lose sight, in my opinion, of the bigger picture, if we're using the analogy. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, as a people, we've got to avoid that tendency to allow the challenges and the problems and the things that we face to cause us to turn on each other. Scripture is really good at showing us that there's an enemy behind every problem. Ephesians chapter 6, if you're unfamiliar, talks about spiritual warfare and the reality that we don't war against principalities and hosts of wickedness. That, or that, that's what we, it's not the flesh that we're warring against, it's the principalities of wickedness. It's the spiritual war that we're in. And that has the ability at times to, to cause us to turn inward, to lose sight of the hope we have, and to actually begin to de- bite 
and backbite and gossip and devour one another. Woo, it's quiet, church. Jesus, uh, in Mark 3.24, he says this. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's a word about the kingdom, the word about Jesus' church. It's also, I believe, a great principle that we should be applying in our life, that if there's division, if we've allowed problems to create division, that that kingdom will not stand. Feels really heavy, doesn't it? Should. That heaviness is not meant to be ours to lift. It's not meant to be the thing that squeezes the life out of us. It's meant to press us in to Jesus and to let him carry it and to bring it to him. To say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this problem. I don't know how to handle this situation. And so we bring it to him. And because he's our hope, he begins to unify us to him and to one another. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 is one of my favorites about the church. About what it's supposed to be. It says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we are to be one people, a people that is built together by the hope that we have in Jesus. A people that is not turning on one another in the problems, but turning to Jesus And in turning to Jesus is finding unity with one another, being a people of praise no matter the problem in front of us. Can you see what this month could do if we approach things this way and we unwrapped hope and carried that into all of the crazy busyness that this season brings? I want to finish looking at these next few verses, 8 through 13. So Paul wasn't done. In fact, Paul wanted to push them further with what the gospel meant and how it played out in a gospel community. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. I want to pause right there. What Paul just did is brilliant from a writing perspective. It's also integral in learning the Bible and understanding that that Paul actually just quoted four Old Testament passages. He, He actually quoted from the Torah, from the prophets, and from Uh, the wisdom writings. He quoted from all three because he's showing that, that as we would learn, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. 
That, that in fact, Jesus fulfills all that was written. And that as he fulfills that, he uses the word Gentiles four times in there. Because this was revolutionary. This was the gift of God, this gift of hope, the fulfillment of a Messiah, now extending the borders. A gospel that was not, a good news that was not just any longer for the nation of Israel, for the Jews, but was now for the Gentiles, for all nations. He quotes this to, to help them to see like the kingdom of God is expanding and is greater than what you imagine. There's now hope not just for you, but for your neighbors, your brother, your sister, and those throughout our world. If you're taking notes here, hope grows when it is rooted in the gospel and gospel community. The gospel means simply good news. It's the good news of Jesus his birth, death, and resurrection, the fact that he offers us life and life abundantly, that that life includes the forgiveness of sins and this abundant life that also begins to form and shape us into the image of Christ and does so by putting us into a new family with new brothers and new sisters that share Maybe a lot of diff we don't maybe have a lot of differences in life, came from different places and spaces, have different skin tones and, and different bank accounts and, and all of the differences that the world has. Here's the gospel, the good news, this gospel community that Jesus says, I'm the king of this, I'm the Lord of this. Church, that's really an important message. That we aren't alone any longer. That Jesus says, I want to be present with you. And your earthly family may have failed you, but I'm going to give you a new family. I'm going to give you a gospel community. I'm going to give you a group of people that understand the good news and understand that we're unified in Christ. That he is the common denominator. He is the glue. He gives us hope. Many of us in this day and age have given up hope on community and unity because of the division we see in our world. The gospel says, uh-uh, don't get discouraged. Recognize the darkness, but come to the light, because in the light, there's hope. Because Jesus creates a new family, a new community with new brothers and sisters. Can I get an amen, church? To my core, like if you were to cut me and wonder what I bleed, right? Please don't. It's Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's this idea that his church and kingdom is really meant to be a church for all people with all the gifts active in all of life. That actually what Paul's getting at, and he would had, have described in chapter 12 of Romans as all the gifts that are in the body. And that when we are a gospel community, a church where Jew and Gentile, all the differences are set aside because of who Christ is, that now the gifts become active and those gifts carry over into all of life. That changes how we live. 
That changes a community. That changes a country. That changes a world. Author and uh, theologian N.T. Wright, this was the quote I started to share earlier. I'm going to share it now. He says, a superficial gospel will produce superficial discipleship. Churches should be gospelized in the same way that magnets are magnetized. Surgical tools are sterilized and so on. We need to absorb the truth, power, and beauty of the gospel so that we reflect it outwardly and infect. Say infect. Can we say that word without tripping because of COVID now? Like it's been long enough, right? We want to infect. We want to infect others with the gospel says, infect everyone we touch with it and make gospel proclamation in all its dimensions the, chief's, or the church's chief project. That is amazing to think about. That gives me hope. That should give you hope that there is a purpose and a mission and a life that is so much bigger than sometimes the one that we run around trying to grab the little pieces of while missing the gift. Let me read to you verse 13. And this is, again, where we have even more hope. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You may have noticed I have a rowing machine up here today. I am probably more nervous about this than anything else that has happened so far today. I got to thinking about what I was looking at in that passage and the fact that we're in a season that is going to challenge us to just start moving, to start going, to start rowing and pulling in our own strength, to start trying to accomplish things. You know, maybe today you already have a complete list of all the things you need to do to be ready for this week. And you're just moving, And I wonder what it looks like to actually hear the Lord say, be still, quit rowing, quit striving, be still. But you're like I am, you're like, I don't know though, what's that mean? What's that look like? What's going to happen if I actually stop? What's going to actually happen if I you know, don't keep moving, don't keep things going. Can I handle what I'll find? Can I handle what I'll see? And here's actually what I think verse 13 means. Means that while you're rowing, God's saying, hey, will you relax? Will you begin to slow down? Will you begin to see that in the Christian life, I actually ask you not just to to stop moving in your own strength, to not just stop going in your power. But I want to move you from a rower to a speedboat. That you're no longer the one causing it to go, but you're actually relying on him, the hope that you have, the power of the Holy Spirit to cause you to move. Obviously with this, I could row all day and I'm not moving anywhere. Last night, uh, our family went to the, the Christmas parade 
And uh, we had a great time last night over, uh, you know, on the island watching the Christmas parade. And it was kind of neat, like big floats, big trucks, and you got to believe some really big boats. That was new to us. You know, in Michigan, a parade was in the morning, not night, and there weren't boats. Just wasn't. We weren't on the ocean. We were on Lake Michigan, and in the winter, it was ice. But some of those boats had these massive engines. Honestly, there was one I saw that the engine was so much larger than the boat itself that my thought was like, "Woo, that would be fun. Like, here we go. There is a power that the Holy Spirit is meant to be in our life. That for many of us, I hope this visual stays with us, that we maybe would stop the striving, stop the rowing, and, and, and say, God, I, I'm without hope right now, but your Holy Spirit is meant to give it to me. God, I'm tired, I'm, I'm weak right now, but, but your Holy Spirit is supposed to give me power so that I can be the evidence of that hope that you've given me. And if you're going, well, I, I don't know what that looks like or means, great. Go back to verse 4. It says if we learn the Bible, maybe spend a couple of weeks slowing down and looking up in the Bible and studying about the Holy Spirit and, and this incredible gift of power because you and I are meant to move and follow Jesus, but not in our own strength, not in our own hope, but a hope we have in him and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Next step questions uh, to close today. First is, where is your focus this Christmas season? Is it on Christ or on the Mass, the celebration? Where is your focus? Are you so focused on the parties and the celebration, the Mass, that you're missing Christ and the hope we have in him? Secondly, how could you commit to learning and living more of the Bible in this next year? Maybe it's a commitment to be more present on Sundays, a commitment to be in a group or a class, or maybe it's a commitment to pick up a Bible reading plan and to start learning the Bible in the next year. Thirdly, will you press into Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in this season to share the hope of the gospel with others? Will you do it, church? Seriously, let's let God begin to move us out of striving and out of our strength and empower us with his Holy Spirit. Because when that happens, it's going to change everything. I'm going to pray over us, and then uh, we're going to go into a time of celebration with baptisms. And uh, I hope that as we see the gospel lived out through baptism, as we see gospel community, our new brothers and sisters declaring their faith, that your hope rises Because Jesus is on the move. Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for who you are. Father, I thank you that you fill us with your spirit and power. That we have hope because of you. Father, we thank you for this moment. I pray that you would just uh, bring anybody who doesn't know you to know you today. Not just to know about you, but to know you. And for those that are striving and moving in their own strength and in their own power, 
Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to empower us in new ways. May we walk in the gift of your Son, Jesus, and the hope that we have. And now as we turn to a time to baptize and to celebrate, we just ask that there would be great joy in this room and that your Spirit would touch each person as they're baptized and as they obey and follow you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Nate.